Come on, let's dance a little bit. Let's dance for a minute. Here, hang on. I'm gonna dance a little bit. Oh yeah. There I go. There I go. That feels good. Welcome to the Comparison Group Podcast. A podcast for discussion and not debate. A podcast for people in the middle. A podcast for people who believe Facebook and Mark Zuckerberg might just be the Antichrist. Follow me on Twitter at comparison underscore show at comparison underscore show. Go to my website, www.thecomparisongroup.com, www.thecomparisongroup.com. Take the music down. Take the music down. I got to I got to talk to the people. Take the music down. Before I start, I just like to say my last show, I said some things. I described some people, gave some people some names, some groups of people, and I played some clips that some people may have found offensive. And I just like to say, if anyone was offended, I sincerely <laughs> start over, start over, start over. Take two, take two. On my last show, I said some things. I made some comments. I played some clips that some people may have. <laughs> I can't do it. I can't do it. Stop, stop, stop. Listen, if you were offended by anything from the last show, I'm sorry, but that's the problem. That's the problem. You're sensitive ears. If I was really trying to offend you, I would have asked, what's going on with black athletes' hair? Are they having a ridiculous hairdo contest I'm not aware of? Turn the music back up. I'm in a good mood today. So comments from last show, and I appreciate, appreciate all the listeners from last show. Once again, great download numbers. I truly appreciate it. And I have to assume it's from people talking about the show and sharing the show, which is just amazing to me. I truly appreciate that. I Sometimes I go to look and see how many people have listened to my show, and it's always more. And my first reaction is always, why? I wonder why people are listening. But I, I only say that because I'm not really even pushing the show out there. I didn't really push the show out a lot on Twitter this week. I was a little busy. And so that can only mean that the listens were coming from people enjoying the show and sharing the show and talking about the show. So I really appreciate that. But comments from the last show, people, as I said, most people enjoyed it. Some people on Twitter still, they're sticking to their guns, man. They're sticking to their guns on the whole COVID and vaccinations and people still getting sick, having COVID. Let me let me say this. I'm not going to I promise you, I won't talk a whole lot about this. But let me say this on breakthrough cases, what they're calling breakthrough cases for COVID. It occurs to me. Isn't it possible that some of the breakthrough cases for COVID are people who already had COVID? Now, follow me. Picture this. You go to bed, you wake up with a sore throat. You go, "Uh uh-oh, because you know the deal. 
you know what's going on. You're not feeling so well. You tell your friend, you tell your wife, man, I don't feel so good. I feel a little tired. Uh Uh-oh. So what do you do? You don't go get a test. I'll tell you, you run and you go get that vaccine. Because right now, you can pretty much get a vaccine the same day, if not the next day. So isn't it possible that a lot of these people that they're pointing out, well, that person had the vaccine and they still got COVID. They very well may have had COVID, suspected they had COVID, and went and got the vaccine to try and do something about it. But it's too late. The only other thing I'm going to say, well, two things, because how can I not mention Nicki Minaj? Listen, I tweeted it out. If you're taking medical advice from Nicki Minaj, you really, you, you gotta, you, you got, uh, oh, oh. Who do you get financial advice from? MC Hammer? Uh, you know, uh, and Jim Brewer. A lot of people are saying, who's Jim Brewer? Who's Jim Brewer, he's a comedian. If you saw him, you might recognize him. He was on Saturday Night Live. He has decided he's not going to play any venues as a comedian where vac- vaccination is required. Well, to Jim Brewer, I would say, do you remember what you were doing back in 2020, Jim Brewer? You were probably driving an Uber because you couldn't play any shows. Vaccinated or unvaccinated. Nobody was vaccinated. So everything was closed down. You couldn't work. You couldn't do comedy shows. The reason why you can do comedy shows right now, Jim Brewer, the reason why comedy clubs are open right now, Jim Brewer, is because of the vaccine. That's it. That's all I'm going to say. One other thing I'll say. I'm hearing a lot of people saying, once again, these breakthrough cases, that seems to be the big talking point right now. I'm hearing a lot of people say, There are people who got vaccinated and they got sick and they're in the hospital with COVID. You follow what I'm saying? They got the vaccination and they're in hospital with COVID. I'm not hearing anyone say they got the vaccination and they're in the hospital with the vaccination. The vaccination didn't put them in the hospital. COVID did. One other thing I'll say about COVID. Just imagine you're a parent and you have to make the decision to either send your child to school Unmask, because let's be honest, the decision to mask or unmask is not a decision. If there's no mandate, the child is not going to keep the mask on. They're going to feel weird amongst their peers that aren't wearing masks. We know how kids are. So parents are making the decision to put their child in trials for the vaccination because they're so worried about their child getting COVID because they see where the numbers are trending. They see 30,000 children in ICUs. Just imagine that. Just imagine that's what you that's the decision you have to make as a parent. Do I send my child to school and risk them getting COVID or do I put them in trials just so they can get the vaccine to protect them? Okay, that's it. Come on. Stop fooling around because we got to get through this this time. All right. Been talking about it for three shows now. Joe Biden and his agenda. President Joe Biden and his agenda. The three point five trillion dollar reconciliation bill the $1 trillion infrastructure bill, and the John Lewis Voting Rights Act. Let's start with the $3.5 trillion reconciliation bill, because that's what I have the most to say about. And that may be what people don't understand fully. So let's explain. And this is going to be my amateur explanation, because remember, I'm not a politician. I'm not a pundit. I'm not someone who is in a Washington insider. I'm a a guy that cleans toilets who decided to start a podcast. So A reconciliation is a tool that can be used by the Senate to make certain legislation easier to pass. Instead of 60 votes, you need a simple majority in the Senate. It starts with a congressional budget resolution 
and the budget cannot be filibustered by the Senate because you can't have one senator, senator looking at you, Rand Paul, putting the credit of the country at risk by holding up the budget. So you pass the budget on reconciliation. Now, there are limitations on what you can go, what can go into a reconciliation bill. For instance, changes to Social Security can't go into a, a reconciliation bill. It's basically to set the mark for total spending, revenue, the surplus or deficit, and public debt. It can also provide a fast track for certain policies the party wants to push through. For instance, Republicans used it recently to pass their tax law in 2017. Republicans also attempted to use it in 2017 to get rid of Obamacare, but they failed to get the needed votes in the Senate. Thank you, John McCain. Democrats used it recently to pass COVID relief measures. So that's what reconciliation is. It's a tool to get things done quicker and easier, but you can't use it for everything. So what's in the bill? $3.5 trillion over 10 years. What's in the bill? Um, some items include $109 billion to make two years of community college free. The federal government would pay 75% of tuition in each state, and the states would cover the rest. $39 billion for a two-year subsidy for students in HBCUs, historically black colleges. Money to invest in the child care workforce, raising wages up to $15 an hour from where they are the average of about $12.24 an hour. $225 billion over 10 years for paid family and medical leave. This provides workers with a total of 12 weeks of guaranteed paid leave, uh, up to $4,000 a month, but a minimum of two-thirds of their salary. This is for people who want time off to bond with a new child, care for a seriously ill loved one, deal with a loved one's military deployment, deal with a sexual assault or domestic violence, or deal with the death of a loved one. $200 billion for universal pre-K. Preschool for three and four-year-olds. Is this boring? I feel like this is boring. I want to know what's in the bill, but I'm bored by reading it. I hate when people read stuff to me on the radio. Right, let, me, let me try and blow through some of these things, because we should know what's in the bill before I start screaming about it. So let me just bear with me while I blow through a couple more things. The bill recommends adding dental, vision, and hearing benefits to Medicare. It seeks to extend expansions of the child care tax credit. That's that tax credit that started back in July 15th, and it is $3,600 for each child under six and $3,000 for each one under the age of 18. The tax credit, half is paid out in a monthly installment, so people are getting it monthly right now, started back in July 15th, and then they will get the balance of it, the other half, as part of their tax refund next year. Now, that was temporary when it was put in a COVID relief bill. So this bill is looking to make that, I guess, permanent or at least extend it. Remember, I told you the Democrats were going to make that one of their things that they were going to argue with Republicans over in the next election. They would tell people, hey, they're looking to take that tax credit away from you. Once people get hooked on it, it's hard to take it away. The bill calls for increasing the Pell Grant, helping underprivileged kids go to school, go to college. It calls for further investment in HBCUs. It calls for investing in home and community-based services to help seniors, the disabled, and home health care workers. Biden has launched a $400 billion investment in these areas in his original infrastructure proposal, but it didn't make the final package, so they're looking to put it into this one. It also looks to start a new federal health program for people who live in states that did not expand Medicaid under the Affordable Care Act. 
There were 12 states so far that haven't expanded Medicaid under Obamacare. And so this looks to start a federal health program for those people who live in those states. The bill calls for lowering the price of prescription drugs by allowing Medicare to negotiate prices with with Big Pharma. It calls for promoting health equity, particularly investing in maternal, behavioral, and racial justice health measures. Health equity has been one of the priorities of the Biden administration. It seeks to combat climate change, seeks to make investments aiming to meet Biden's goals of reducing economy-wide carbon emissions by 50% and for the U.S. power grid to get 80% of its power from from emissions-free sources before 2030. New consumer rebates for home electrification and weatherization, providing clean energy, manufacturing, transportation, tax incentives and grants. It goes on and on and on and on. It's important to know. And I'll post that to the website, www.comparisongroup.com. You can read it for yourselves because it is important to know. We should know what's in this bill. It's three point five trillion dollars. But you want my commentary. That's what you're here for. You're here for my commentary. That's what I'm here for, to give my commentary. I don't need to know what's in the bill to give my commentary. This is America. I don't need to know what I'm talking about to give my opinion. And so here's what I'll say. It doesn't matter what's in the bill. It really doesn't. It doesn't matter if I agree or disagree with what's in that bill. A lot of the things, sure, I agree with. A lot of the things I think are good programs, good policies, needed policies. I have no problem with Medicare being able to negotiate prices with Big Pharma. I have no problem with that. I have no problem with universal pre-K. I have no problem with investments in infrastructure. I have no problem with helping to pay for students to go to college. But these are ideas. That's what they are. That's what policies are, programs are, that the federal government puts together. They're ideas for something. Ask anyone who's ever spent a day in business, an idea is useless without execution. That's what you have to have. You have to have execution of the idea. And that's where the federal government fails us. Lest we forget, in the COVID relief bill, billions of dollars was set aside to keep people from being put out of their homes. And where is that money? Sitting somewhere. It hasn't been distributed. 10% of it. How much was it? Was it $40 billion or something like that was given to the states to protect people from being evicted? And the money couldn't get out the door. $40 billion. And you're telling me we can get $3.5 trillion out the door where it needs to go? Execution. The government can't do it. They can't handle it. Not $3.5 trillion. Apparently not $40 billion. So the money will be made wasted. It's not about the idea. It's not about the policy that I have a problem with. I have a problem with the execution of the federal government. Don't take it from me. Listen to Bill Maher. Bill Maher just happened to talk about something along these lines on his show last Friday. Now, he was talking more about the problem of the drought in California and a solution to get water to California. But listen to Bill Maher explain why it's such a problem for the federal government to accomplish anything in regards to infrastructure or any program for that matter. But in America, we don't even start because we know. Why would it be any different from any other ambitious project like Afghanistan that always just turns into a giant money grab? Here in California, we know 
We can't house the homeless because the cost of a single unit has risen to $750,000. We tried to build high-speed rail. They finally pulled the plug on that because the cost got so out of hand. That's why nothing ever gets done in this country. Because so much bullshit is built into everything that it's a boondoggle before it starts. This is our tragic flaw. The ever-ballooning costs, the inflated contracts, the back-scratching, the kickbacks, the private contractors, the padded expense accounts, the layers of consultants, the permits, the fees, the environmental impact statements, the lawsuits, the lawyers, the lobbyists, the red tape, graft on a scale untamable. Couldn't have said it better myself. I've constantly asked a question. Why does everything in this country always cost so much when our government does it? Why? Bill Maher just gave you the answer in a nutshell. Think about the two years free community college that's included in this $3.5 trillion bill. It's $109 billion that's set aside for that. Now, I don't know how they come up with these numbers. I assume they get in a room and they say, well, there's 5.5 million students enrolled in two-year community colleges right now. Based on the average tuition, that totals $109 billion. So that's what we'll set aside, $109 billion for two years of community college so students can go for free. Let me ask you a question. What do you think the colleges are going to do when the government starts paying the tuition? You got it. They're going to raise the tuition. So that $109 billion is not going to be $109 billion over the next 10 years. It's going to be a lot more. According to the Community College Review, fewer than one out of five students at community colleges obtain their degree in three years or less. One out of five. Now, that's not saying they didn't get a degree. It's saying they didn't get it in two years. And so, in other words, what are these students going to do when they don't have their degree after two years and now they're on the hook to pay the tuition instead of the government? Will they continue to go to college? Or will the American taxpayer just be out that money we spent for two years without a student getting a degree? What's the provision in the bill for that? Have they given any thought to that? So again, it's not about the policy. I think it would be good if more people nowadays could go and get a college education. I think a college education is important. But when Bernie Sanders and Alexandria, I always take a shower after I touch a $100 bill, Ocasio-Cortez, come up with these ideas, they don't think about the execution. What about the cost that the states have to share in sending these kids to community college? The costs are different in different states. The cost of a community college, I'm going to assume, is different in New York than it is in Alabama or Texas or Florida. And the cost might also rise at different levels. But the state's on the hook for it. Is there any provision to keep the state from going bankrupt? because the cost of community colleges is going up so much. Now, I talked about the fact that one in five graduates from community community college in two years, but what about those who do drop out? What about that 18-year-old who graduates high school and says, well, I got nothing to do. I may as well enroll in community college. After all, it's free. And after a year, he or she says, you know, this isn't for me. And they drop out. Do I get my one year worth of tax dollars back? We have to understand, and I think most people do understand, when you give something to someone for free, they don't appreciate it as much as if they earned it, as if they worked for it. 
Now, this can be applied to almost anything in these social programs, in the Democrats' bill, because contrary to how it looks right now, they're good people from every political party, every walk of life. I know they want to help people. I know they do. I don't think that Bernie Sanders or Alexandria, I was making a shank in my office on January 6th, Ocasio-Cortez, doesn't genuinely want to help people. And the people in this country want to help people. They want to, They don't want to see kids go hungry or single mothers have to work three jobs just to get by. But no legislation, no policy from the government can substitute for hard work, knowledge, talent, and luck. You've heard me talk about it before on this show. Those are the things that make you successful. Hard work, knowledge, talent, and luck. No policy can take the place of personal responsibility. Policies can work hand in hand. Public policy can work hand in hand with personal responsibility. Public policy can provide better broadband, new up-to-date textbooks, modern science labs from rural communities and urban cities, but it's meaningless without a hardworking student. It's meaningless without a parent who's engaged and interested in what their kids are doing in school. So again, it's not that all of the policies in the $3.5 trillion bill are bad. It's not that all of the ideas are bad. But too many times, politicians mistake hardworking people and people who work hard when they have to. Now, let me explain. Pretty much everyone in my family is a hardworking person. Everyone. I'm not just saying that because they might hear the show. Everyone in my family is a hardworking person. We learned it from our parents, two of the hardest working people on the planet, my mother and father. They worked hard all their lives without so much as a complaint. They're just hardworking people. Hardworking people don't know how else to work, but hard. They just assume it's how you're supposed to be. A person who works hard when they need to are always looking for an opportunity to not work hard. They quit jobs because their employer said you have to stay 15 minutes late or you can't clock in 15 minutes early. They get hired, excuse me, they get fired from jobs for calling out three Fridays in a row. They work in jobs that are hard, but they are not necessarily hardworking people. Politicians make that mistake. They confuse it. Just because you work in a hard job at a fast food restaurant or as a maid in a hotel or as a waitress in a restaurant doesn't necessarily make you a hardworking person. Plenty of them are. Maybe the majority. But not all. Not all. So if Democrats want to pass social programs that will help hardworking people and not just people who are working in hard jobs, I'm all for it. How can you tell the difference, you ask? Well, I'll tell you. The hardworking people are usually the people not taking the social programs that the government is offering. Sure, they'll take some assistance. Absolutely. Hardworking people will take advantage of the universal pre-K or the paid sick leave, but they're not also taking rental assistance and child care tax credits and food stamps and free heating oil and free cell phones. They work enough to pay for these things, and they're okay with that. They just want to be rewarded for their hard work. They just want to have a fair level playing ground for their hard work. That's all. I've said on my show before, if you're someone out there who says, I hate my tax dollars having to go to pay for social programs for these people with four or five kids, I said, join the club. Join the club. You really think a single mother 
working hard with two kids wants to see someone not working with four or five kids join the club. Being a liberal, being a Democrat doesn't have to make you turn a blind eye to people who are taking advantage of the system. And this bill catches everybody in the same net. The people who are working hard and the people who are working hard jobs but are not hard workers. It gives the same benefits to everyone. And that's not right. That's not fair. You got to turn some of these hardworking when they need to be people into hardworking people. And you don't do that by giving them social program after social program after social program. I'm not an enemy of the people. I'm not an enemy of the working man by saying this. I know it bothers some people to hear this, but I'm the type of person who gets just as upset when I see a multimillionaire pay $750 in federal taxes or a large corporation pay nothing in taxes as I am when I see a person on eight different forms of social assistance buy a $9 pack of cigarettes. I get just as upset. I don't know why we wouldn't be outraged by both people. I can remember years ago, I stopped in a convenience store after a particularly long, hard night of toilet cleaning. It was probably about three o'clock in the morning and there were two girls in line in front of me and you could tell they were dressed like they had just been at the club and they were buying chips and soda and snacks. And one of them pulled out one of those food stamp cards to pay for it. I don't know if you can do that now. I think they changed the rules so you can't buy things like that with food stamps, but I don't know. But that bothered me. It bothered me a little bit. Here I am. I'm out here working hard. And here's a couple of girls who clearly were out partying and they're buying some junk food with taxpayer money. Now, I could have said, well, listen, maybe they're a couple of hardworking girls work six days a week and this is their one night off. Well, why do they have a food stamp card then? The bottom line for Joe Biden, Bernie Sanders and Alexandria, if you need me, I'll be at the Met Gala Ball Ocasio-Cortez is we already have quite a few social programs and there's still millions of people struggling. We have a ton of social programs, family planning programs, state children's health insurance program, CHIP, Medicaid, temporary assistance for needy families, TANF, supplemental security income, SSI, the additional child care tax credit, earned income tax credit, supplemental nutritious nutrition assistance program, SNAP, school breakfast program, national school lunch program, early reading first, Mathematics and Science Partnership, Improved Teacher Quality State Grants, Single Family Rural Housing Loans, Supportive Housing for Elderly, Supportive Housing for Persons with Disability, Section 8, Homeless Assistance Grants, Housing Opportunities for Persons with AIDS, Indian Housing Block Grants, Weatherization Assistance Programs, Low Income Home Energy Assistance Program, the Emergency Food Assistance Program, Nutrition Program for the Elderly, Summer Food Service Program, Adult Basic Education Grants to States, Title I Migrant Education Program, Federal Work Study, Federal Pell Grants, 21st Century Community Learning Centers, Child Supportment Enforcement, Child Care Development Fund, Head Start, Social Service Block Grant, Legal Services Corporation, Senior Community Employment Service, Social Service for Targeted Assistance for Refugees, Fostered Grant Program, Job... The t- ah. We have a lot of programs. We have a lot of social programs. And yet, millions of people are still struggling. Why is that? Why is that? I don't have the answer. I'm asking. I'm asking you. Why is that? And is the answer throwing more money at the problem? I saw a Democratic congressman, I don't remember his name, tweet out the media needs to stop freaking out about the $3.5 trillion price tag. It's over 10 years after all, is what he said. And he said, we spend $7 trillion, or we're going to spend $7 trillion on defense over the next 10 years. 
Now, forget the congressman is using the defense budget as a comparison. Forget that this $3.5 trillion doesn't include anything, anything, or at least not much, for our men and women in the military, the hardest working among us. Just forget about that for a minute. I think there's some money in the infrastructure portion of the bill or the other infrastructure bill for VA hospitals, but that's about it as far as I can tell. We got our military coming back sick from burn pits, and we can barely find a dime to give to them. But don't get me distracted with that. You got $7 trillion in military spending. You got about $10 trillion, which is what the social programs will equal in 10 years. And then you got this $3.5 trillion in additional spending. So I'm not the best in math, but let me calculate that real quick. That's $20 trillion over the next 10 years in spending. I haven't included the other trillion that's already passed the Senate for infrastructure, and I haven't even talked about Social Security or Medicare or the payments for interest on the debt. So how are you going to pay for this? How are you going to pay for this, Bernie Sanders? How are you going to pay for this, Joe Biden? How are you going to pay for this, Alexandria? I only carry $1 bills, Ocasio-Cortez. Because I assume they still want to push their Medicare for all agenda. Not Joe Biden. He wants to improve Obamacare. But the other two, I assume they still want to push their Medicare for all. They tell you how they're going to pay for it. Tax the rich. Tax the rich. That's how they're going to pay for all this stuff. Now, there are 641 billionaires in this country. I think there's roughly 26,000 millionaires in this country. How many times can you tax the same dollar? And let's be honest, a million dollars ain't what it used to be. You could almost find a million dollars in the back of a cab in New York City nowadays. I got to wrap this up because I'm running long on this. Let me bottom line it for you, what I've said. It's ridiculous to even write a bill for $3.5 trillion. You can't get $10 out the door, number one. Number two, it's not about the policy. It's not about the ideas. It's about the execution. The federal government is awful at executing these social programs. With the exceptions of Social Security and Medicare, the federal government is awful at executing social programs. It's why we have so many social programs and so many people in this country still struggling. There's waste, there's fraud, and there's abuse of the programs. It's one of the reasons there are so many people still waiting for their unemployment checks from COVID. People get, couldn't get their unemployment checks from COVID because there was so much fraud. There was so much red tape. And number three, pointing these things out does not make you a bad person. It doesn't mean you don't have compassion and you don't want to help people and you don't necessarily want to see your tax dollars going to help other people. Pointing this out just means you're living in a world of reality and you recognize some people got to take a little personal responsibility to help themselves. And the more the government does for them, the less they will do for themselves. Now, I got to move on. Tax the rich. Tax the rich, tax the corporation. First of all, people seem to think that anyone who seems to be living a decent life or seems to have money must have just come into that money. But no, a lot of people had to work really hard to make that money and to make themselves a success. I recognize that. And you should recognize that too. You weren't around when those people were working 18-hour days to build that business and make themselves into a success. So we should just stop assuming that just because someone is a millionaire, that means they just inherited the money or they're greedy because they don't want to give it away. They don't want to just give it away because they worked really hard to get it. That's not every millionaire. It's not every billionaire. Yeah, so of course, some of them are greedy, but not all. As far as corporations, if you want to tax corporations, go right on ahead. But I've talked about this before also. When you tax corporations, you do get that trickle-down effect. 
Remember the trickle-down effect they always talked about? If you cut taxes, it'll trickle down. Well, if you raise taxes, I guarantee you, it'll trickle down. Because what do you think the corporation's going to do? Just say, oh, well, they raised our taxes, so I guess we just make less money now? What do you think the CEOs are going to do? Oh, well, they raised my taxes. I guess I just make less money now? No, of course not. There's going to be a reaction. There's going to be laid off workers. There's going to be less investment, which means less jobs. There's going to be an increase in prices. There's going to be an increase in prices on the small businesses that do business and rely on the corporations, which in turn will force them to increase their prices on you. There's going to be a reaction. That's why simply raising taxes on corporations or the wealthy does not work to fund programs. Because the other thing is the corporate taxes and the taxes on the wealthy will just be reversed by some Republican Congress or Republican president in the near future. These things never last forever. You think the increased taxes will last to 10 years to pay for this $3.5 trillion bill? I doubt it. So again, Democrats, you're missing a mark when it comes to corporations. You're missing a mark. Let me tell you what a mark is. The cost. The cost to the consumers of these corporations. That's where the mark is. Why does everything cost so much? Why is it $1,000 just to buy a halfway decent refrigerator these days? Why is it so much money for me to get cable or for me to get internet? Why is the cost of insurance so high? Why is it when you go to the grocery store and you spend $200, you walk out with four bags and it doesn't appear you were able to get any food? You're worried about corporations getting away with bloody murder and taxes. I'm worried about corporations getting away with bloody murder and competition. There's no competition. You got three cable companies or internet service providers to choose from. You got three credit reporting agencies who, in my humble opinion, I think all work in collusion with the banks, with finance companies to make sure you pay the maximum. You know, your credit score is based on nowadays things from car insurance to the loan on the car. So what if a middle class family, if you really, if you really want to help a struggling middle class person, what if they could pay $5,000 less over the five years on the car if they actually had an accurate credit score? You keep your credit perfect, you pay your bills on time, and your credit score inches up one point at a time. But you do one inquiry inquiry on your credit, and your score drops 20 points. Does that seem right to you? That's the problem I got with corporations. And then they ship the jobs overseas. We always hear the politicians talk about it, but no one seems to be capable of doing anything about it. Is anything in regards to that included in any bill? I think it is. I think it is. I think the Democrats have included it in one bill. But we'll see if anything happens. It hasn't yet. You have a problem. You pick up the phone to call customer service and you hear that voice. You hear that voice. Oh, boy. Listen, I, I, I don't want to, you know, listen. It's just that I, I don't have a problem with it. But please understand, it's difficult for us sometimes to understand you through that accent. It's just it's just hard. We just would prefer if we. Uh, uh, you know what I'm saying. So there are plenty of ways that we could help struggling middle class Americans that don't include raising taxes on corporations. It's not just about raising taxes on corporations. I'm not saying corporations don't need to pay something in taxes. I'm not saying the wealthiest people among us don't need to pay something in taxes, but it all seems to rebound back on the middle class in some form or fashion. 
to the point where the middle class never really gets helped and the corporations never really get hurt. I'm going to cut things short because it's running long. I didn't have a ton to say about infrastructure and about the voting bill, but on infrastructure, it's very simple. Everything costs too much. When the government does it, everything costs too much. And you can refer back to the Bill Maher clip to find out why. From 1933 to 1937, the Golden Gate Bridge was built in San Francisco. It cost $35 million to build it. The bond issue was for $35 million, and it cost $35 million. To build it today, it would cost about $1.64 billion. The Panama Canal cost $375 million to build. Today, it would cost, excuse me, did I say $375 million. Today, it would cost $8 billion to build the Panama Canal. Now, I don't know if that's about the time and the change in the worth of the dollar. I think it has a lot to do with how much it costs to build things today versus how much it costs to build things years ago. Now, wouldn't you expect that it would get cheaper to build things today, like bridges and canals, and not more expensive? And a lot of the infrastructure, we're not even building bridges. We're repairing bridges. We're fixing bridges. And it's still trillions of dollars to do these things. Why is that? And by the way, the next time you complain about going over a bridge and the toll, the toll for the Panama Canal can be anywhere from $54,000 to $300,000. Imagine that, the toll to go through the Panama Canal. So the infrastructure, again, boils down to one thing, the execution. The execution of the federal government getting things done in a timely manner, in an efficient manner, where it really shouldn't cost ever as much as it costs. You never seem to see a bill come out of this Congress or any other Congress out of our government that doesn't cost billions upon billions upon billions of dollars. Doesn't anyone wonder why that is? Doesn't anyone wonder why we can't get a bargain on something every now and again? Trump talked about it. He never did it either. He talked about how he was going to get things done on time and cheaper, but he never did. He never got any bargains from the contractors that do business with the federal government. Why would we think Biden would get a bargain? He's not even looking for a bargain. I'm going to skip the John Lewis Voting Rights Act. I talked a little bit, just very briefly about it in the last show, but I'm going to skip it because I'm running short on time. And I don't want to not mention Joe Manchin and Kirsten Cinema. Is it Christian Cinema or Kirsten Cinema? Joe Manchin and Senator Cinema. Democrats, I've said this to you before. You're making them a target. You're making Joe Manchin and Senator Cinema a target. Every time you yell at them for not getting on board with the bills you're trying to push. They're two senators from red states. You're lucky to have them. You're lucky to have two senators in states that generally go Republican. It shows you that West Virginia in particular has made a decision clearly that they want to have balance. They want to have a Democratic senator and they want to have a Republican senator. They want to have a moderate, a center, left, center, right, Democratic senator. They don't want a left-leaning Democratic senator. They don't want an overly liberal or progressive Democratic senator. So if you keep pushing Joe Manchin or trying to push Joe Manchin farther and farther to the left and you keep calling him out and making him a target, you're going to lose that seat in the Senate. And we know what happens if you lose that seat in the Senate. Hello, Mitch McConnell. So at the very least, you should stop calling out Joe Manchin and Senator Sinema and maybe attempt to focus on negotiating the bills that you're trying to pass with some moderate 
Republican senators who are retiring and have nothing to lose. But, oh, I hear Bernie Sanders. No room for negotiation. No room on that $3.5 trillion price tag. I hear other progressive Democrats in the House say we're not going to vote on that $1 trillion infrastructure package that passed in the Senate unless we get our $3.5 trillion reconciliation bill. Keep it up, progressives. Keep it up, Democrats. And we will be welcoming Kevin McCarthy and Mitch McConnell back into the leadership positions in Congress. That's the show. Thanks for listening. I'm sorry if it ran a little bit too long. I hope you were able to hang in there with me till the end. I really wanted to talk about all of that. Follow me on Twitter at comparison underscore show at comparison underscore show. Go to the website, www.comparisongroup.com. Now listen to me. Listen to me. Subscribe on Spotify. Subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts. Subscribe for free on iTunes. Anywhere. Go to Google Music. Go to Amazon Music. Anywhere. Subscribe. The show will come to you. I apparently need subscribers. I got to remember that. I need subscribers. Most people, I think, they either follow on Twitter and get the show that way, or they see me post the show on Twitter, or maybe they go to the website to get the show. And I'm not telling you not to do that. I'm not telling you not to do that. I appreciate that. But you can also subscribe to free to all these services, and you have to go up and I think you have to hit notifications to get notified when a new show comes up, and the show will come to you. Come to you. You don't have to wonder when the show is coming out. All right? So help me out with that if you could. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next time.